Yeah, Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. Um, we're in this a series called uh, The Story and Way of Jesus. And, um, and we've been, as we started this series, we, what we've been trying to do is actually lay some like foundational stuff for the series. Uh, the first week we talked about what the gospel is, like what the gospel is compared to maybe how we, how we have understood the gospel traditionally. Last week we talked about the gospel and the kingdom um, and what Jesus was doing when he was announcing the kingdom and uh, op- like spreading the gospel. And today we're going to talk about discipleship. So uh, these are kind of foundational. They might be a bit, I mean, not to say dry. I don't know if they're dry, but they're not like dynamic because they're definitely something that um, like uh, setting, um, um, defining terms, so to speak. So we know exactly like defining the relationship, like what is it that we're getting into? Um, we've made uh, Christianity, as we're going to talk about today, a lot of things that it's not necessarily. Um, and so I think we're using Mark as a way to kind of level set a lot of the things and the practices that we get into as followers of Jesus. And so today is probably the mo- one of the most important ones. And it's, if we do believe this gospel that Jesus preaches <clears throat> and we want to uh, become a follower of Jesus, what does that look like? And so today I want to talk about discipleship according to Jesus. And so um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 and chapter 2. I'm going to read two sections of Scripture. So if you have your Bible, open to Mark chapter 1, verse 16, and also in chapter 2, verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the front in the pews. If you're in the balcony, off to the side. So uh, I'm going to read chapter 1, verses um, uh, 16 through 20, and then I'm going to skip to chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. So follow along. I'll read. These are the words of Christ, and then I'll pray. Verse 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Once they left their nets, and at once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired men and followed him. Chapter 3, verse uh, 13. Jesus went up to the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name, uh, whatever that name is, which means son of thunder. Um, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, Iscariot, who betrayed him. Uh, These are the word, this word of God, let's pray. Lord, this morning, um, I pray that you would... Confront might be too harsh of a word, but you would, um, that we would encounter truth and that we would not hold too tightly to non-truth, that we can't give up non-truth to believe truth. And I, I pray the things that we, um, that we've inherited from older generations to our part in this whole um, project that you have in, in um, renewing the world through your church and ultimately through coming back yourself, Jesus, that project, any ways that we've, we've kind of messed that up a bit, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would help us to 
uh, renew and um, repent and uh, get like in line with what you're doing in the world. And so we give you our minds and our hearts and we submit them to you. Would you teach us? Would, you, would we encounter Jesus like this, these disciples did? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, I, used to, um, I used to tell people that I got saved twice in my life. Um, the first time was when I was, I was 15 years old and I was uh, constantly being invited to church by a friend in high school. And I finally started saying yes because I was just tired of him bugging me. Like, come to church, come to church, come to church. And, uh, and I was like, finally, I did. And then um, I went to church on Sunday and I went a few times. And then one day he asked me to go to a Wednesday night home Bible study, which is what we would call community groups. So I, was thought, I thought he was crazy. I was like, that sounds like extra credit. And I don't really do extra credit. Um, I'll do the bare minimum. Sunday seems like, like good enough for me and I, I'm not doing extra credit. But he assured me that it was just a smokescreen um, for us to be allowed to go party on a Wednesday night and then we end up at this Bible study where they had free food. And I was like, I'm in on that. That sounds amazing. And um, that night I was, uh, I was there at this Bible study and I was asked to share my testimony. Now, I had no idea what that was. Maybe you're here this morning. You're like, what is a testimony? It sounds like some, something that no 15-year-old has any business having. Like, what is a testimony? I have no idea what that word means. And my friend who brought me to church quietly whispered in my ear the cheat answer to the question. He said, just tell them that you don't know Jesus on that level yet. And I'm like, that sounds like a brilliant answer. But it was a trap. That answer was a trap. Um, I was asked a series of questions when I said that about how I knew I would get to heaven if I died on the way home that night. If you died on the way home tonight, which was probably a possibility uh, considering what was going on that night, um, and you got in an accident and you died, would you go to heaven or hell? I'm like, heaven, heaven, easy. And why? And so... All this stuff, well, because I'm good, and I'm, well, basically the thing that you, like the trap that you set for people, right? And uh, like if you want to go to heaven, um, you say this prayer that you confess your sin and that Jesus died for your sins and you're going to heaven when you die. I'm like, great, I'll do the prayer. So I said the prayer and then everyone came up to me and told me, congratulations, I was now a Christian and all the free food I can have. And I was like, cool, this is cool, it's a cool gig. And, um, and I left that night and I didn't change my life a single iota. Nothing about my life changed that night. Then there was a second time. Um, the second time was about six months after that. Uh, at the mature age of 16, I got kicked out of high school for selling drugs on campus. And my high school life um, was my life. My friends, sports, parties, friends, a little schooling too, but mainly friends. And that night in my room, after I got kicked out of school, uh, I was grounded for like an eternity and not allowed kind of any place, and I wasn't allowed back on campus because of uh, the school kicked me out. The only place I really felt like important in my life, um, that night I, I contemplated either taking my life or running away. And in almost like a Hallmark movie kind of scene, I turned to notice a brand new Bible my friend, who had invited me to church originally, uh, gave me just a few weeks before that for Christmas. Gave me a brand new student Bible. And so I decided, what the heck, I'll crack it open. So I grabbed it, I cracked it open, and I turned to the middle of the book because I just want to skip to the good parts. So I thought, I'll just go to the middle. And I opened it up to the middle, and I opened it up to the book of Job. And I thought it read Job, because who would think that this pronounced Job? Um, I was like, Job? That might, maybe that's the answer. Maybe I need a job. And, um, and the student Bible heading was, when bad things happen to good people. 
And I was like, this book gets me. That's exactly me. Like, I do not deserve to get to school. All my friends that I know are doing way worse things than I am. I'm like probably the best of my friends um, at like moral stuff, I, I was thinking. And I'm like, this book gets me, understands me. So I started reading. And I was reading just a few chapters in, and I had this thought, just like three or four chapters into Job. Like, what if I'm in some kind of test, like cosmic test? What if I'm going through like what Job was going through? What if God wants me to trust him and not give up? At that very moment, I had a sober vision of Jesus. I say sober because at that point in my life, I had a few non-sober visions of Jesus. This was my first sober vision of Jesus. And in this vision, there were two roads laid out for me. One led to my demise, and I knew that for sure, and the other was unclear and like foggy. Later, I would come to know that, that that road represented faith, but I really had no Christian worldview or framework or furniture in my mind to rearrange. I, was, I did not grow up in church at all. So I just saw these, this, the, this vision, and then I heard Jesus say to me, follow me down this unclear, foggy road where you don't know what's going to happen to you other than it won't lead to your demise. So I did. At that very moment, I flushed my drugs down the toilet. I called the youth pastor of the church that I had been attending, to, attending lightly, and I explained the vision and asked what it meant to follow Jesus. I'm so thankful that I got kicked out of school. I'm so grateful that in high school, I was not allowed to go back in high school. I eventually did graduate from high school. Don't, don't worry, I did graduate. That's, that's pretty much my only diploma. But other than that, I did graduate. Uh, and here's why I'm thankful. If that never happened in my life, I might have grown up thinking that being a Christian was all about saying a prayer to be saved and then going to church. Meaning I would have thought that the first story was my salvation story. And I don't think it was. I want to invite you to think about this with me. When we hear the word or where you hear the word Christian, when you hear that someone is a Christian or you say that you yourselves are a Christian, what do you mean by that? What does the name Christian mean to you? What, what it typically means is that you have said some form of what we insiders call a sinner's prayer. And it also means there's a few things you believe to be true. Namely, to be a Christian, you have to believe that Jesus is the only way to God. You have to believe that Jesus died for your sins. You have to believe that you're going to heaven when you die. And that you, you also believe that you should go to church occasionally and try not to sin that much. So for many people, to be a Christian means to believe the right things about the gospel as a minimum requirement to being in, to being saved, to being a Christian, to go to heaven, etc. This is what I believed and what I originally was told the gospel was the night at that home Bible study. Dave, you're a sinner. You have been since birth. Jesus died for your sins. If you say this prayer and believe in him, you don't have to go to hell when you die. Now, you are a Christian. Congratulations. Now, you might be thinking, what's the big deal? That, I thought that's the gig. That's how it works. You say a prayer and you're in, and that's how you're saved. Praise God. And that's where all those great worship songs flow from. Here's the problem. There's no, no problem with the worship songs. They're great. But here's the problem with thinking this. We have created a category of persons who say a prayer, believe a few New Testament facts, and call themselves Christian without being a disciple of Jesus. Let me say this again because this is important. We've created a category in the church, in Christendom, whatever you want to call it. We've created a category where you can say a prayer, believe a few facts, and be called a Christian without ever being a disciple of Jesus. 
What we find in the Gospels is that Jesus never called people to become Christians. He never even used that word. More than that, the Bible never defines the word Christian. It never calls someone to become a Christian. It never records anyone becoming a Christian. Jesus himself wasn't even Christian. He was Jewish. Like, what do you even do with that? The word Christian is used in the New Testament, but it's only used three times. And it's used to describe Jesus' followers when they were becoming too ethnically diverse to be regarded as a Jewish offshoot. They were no longer Jewish because they had a bunch of Gentiles coming in, so we have to call them a new name. Let's call them Christians. Now, I don't think the word is a bad word. I think it's a confusing word. It's a word that I don't want to strike from our vocabulary. I want to expand the word to mean what disciple means. What I'm trying to do is I want to go back to the source documents and allow these documents, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to challenge our thinking around what it means to be a Christian, or I, I would prefer the language, a disciple of Jesus. Because the problem that we're seeing, we are pastors, leaders, are seeing all over the West, all over America, all over the Bible Belt, everywhere, is that you have people who say they're Christian, who check the box on the Pew survey, on the exit surveys, or whatever, the exit poll surveys, that say they're Christian, but they are not disciples of Jesus. And so discipleship is an add-on to the church. We have a church and we have to teach them how to be disciples. When Jesus did the opposite, he called disciples. That's what he did. He called disciples, not Christians. Now, We think that we can be a Christian without being a disciple, but for Jesus, there's really no such category. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are his disciple. I no longer want you to think of yourself as simply a convert or someone who switched religions or as someone who was born a Christian. By the way, being born a Christian is not a thing. Now, well, actually, it is a thing, but it's not a thing to Jesus. You're not born a Christian. Now, today I want to talk about what is a disciple. You're not born a Christian. What is a disciple? And there's three things that I want to walk you through kind of briefly about what discipleship is according to the text that we read this morning. Discipleship is relationship. You can take notes if you want. I think it's helpful to go back to them throughout the week. Discipleship is relationship. Discipleship is apprenticeship. And discipleship is apostleship. Now, the last one, you're like, ooh, that sounds superficial. Like, I don't know if I'm that. We'll get there. Discipleship is relationship to Jesus, apprenticeship under Jesus, and apostleship sent by Jesus, okay? Let's get into these. First, discipleship, is, discipleship to Jesus is relationship. Discipleship is relationship. Notice from our text in verse 17, Jesus says, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. The fact that Jesus had disciples wasn't new, Every great teacher had disciples, Jewish, um, Roman philosophers, Greek philosophers, they all had disciples, right? Socrates and, and Aristotle had disciples. They had Talmudin. They had people who followed them around to become like them. So they all had discipleship. They all had disciples. Um, but what was different about Jesus was that Jesus called his own disciples. That's different. That didn't happen in the first century. Rabbis didn't do this. Scribes didn't do this. Religious leaders of Jesus' day never did this. In rabbinical school, it was a student who sought out the rabbi, not the other way around. So students would seek out a rabbi or students would seek out a philosopher they wanted to learn from or take on their teachings. 
This was like going to college. What college do you want to go to? I'm going to apply to these five colleges, and I hope I get into one of them, and these are the ones I want to learn from. It was just like that with rabbis and teachers and philosophers. You would choose the school that you wanted to go to, and you would apply to be received as a disciple. But Jesus is different because Jesus called disciples. Now, why did people um, have to apply? Why, why didn't rabbis say, follow me? Why didn't philosophers say, come and follow me? Well, specifically because for rabbis, the chief allegiance of rabbinic students was not to the rabbi, but to the Torah. So if you were following a rabbi, you were following his teachings on the Torah. So the allegiance was to the Torah or to the, to the scriptures in, the, in the, the first five books of, of, of the Old Testament or to the whole Testament, right? So your commitment was to the Torah. Actually, the idea of following God in the Old Testament is rare, if not altogether absent. It's not really there in the Old Testament. People of God were called to walk in God's ways or according to his statutes, but Jesus was doing something entirely different here. He wasn't saying, obey these laws. He was saying, come follow. He was calling people to himself. He was saying, I'm calling you to me to be in relationship. I want you to come and learn from me. Not just abstract truths, not even just my take on these abstract truths. I want you to come and learn from me to take on my yoke, which were my teachings, and follow me. Look at verse 13 in chapter 3. Jesus went up to the mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him, and he appointed them that they might be with him. That word appointed means he, he made he made 12 out of nothing. It's the same idea as, as in Genesis when God made the heavens and the earth, the same exact word. He made 12. He was making a new community here, a new humanity. He was doing something new. And he made them so that they might be with him. That is so important. The point is, before discipleship is anything else, before we make it anything else, it's first a call into relationship with Jesus, the living God, the ultimate servant, the giver of peace, the one who understands all our struggles and all our temptations. If you're following along in our bread reading, we just read Hebrews, he's a great high priest who knows our temptations. He's one who, who has suffered with us and suffered the same things we did, yet without sin. He knows when we bring any of our issues, problems, temptations, struggles, he knows personally because he's lived through them at a horrific level. Rejection? when we're, when we're um, ostracized, when we're, we're lonely, when we're in despair, when we're feeling physical pain, when we have to face our death, he's gone through it all. Jesus is calling us to himself. And there's something, um, Mark doesn't really get into it because Mark is all about the immediacy. Jesus comes out of the wilderness, he's preaching the gospel, and immediately he starts calling people to follow him. So it's pretty immediate. But so Mark doesn't tease this out, but there was something that they saw in Jesus that they wanted to follow. So much so that they left their nets, they left thriving businesses to follow Jesus. So they saw something in Jesus. They saw something in him where they wanted to follow. There was this initial meeting or hearing of what Jesus was or who he, what he did and how he taught or something about him that they were drawn to him. And this is true for all of us. We are drawn to Jesus initially by something. He's a healer. He's a, a protector. He's our savior, whatever it is. We're drawn to him initially. This is relationship. 
Jesus called these disciples into intimate relationship with him to be with him, to follow him, to learn his voice, to learn his anger and joy, and most important of all, to learn his teachings. And this was all done in the context of relationship. A disciple of Jesus is one who is in relationship with Jesus, not for Jesus. You don't work for Jesus. You are in relationship with Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. Now, we're tempted to stop there. We say Christianity is not about religion. It's about relationship, man. That's what it's about. It's about relationship. But we stop there. We stop at relationship because we might be afraid of works-based righteousness or earning our salvation or whatever else we tell ourselves to dodge the main point. We say it's all about, discipleship is all about relationship. Now, I don't think I have to press that far into the first point because I think we all get the first point. Discipleship is about relationship with Jesus. Yes, I'm all in. But not just relationship with Jesus. Number two, discipleship to Jesus is about apprenticeship. Look at verse 17. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you to become I will make you become. Being a disciple of Jesus is about who you are becoming, who Jesus is making us become. Make no mistake about this. Jesus is turning disciples into something. He calls, follow me. I want to turn you into something, and then eventually we'll get to and send you out. So I'm going to turn you into something. See, the word for disciple in both its Greek and Hebrew roots means student. So right, disciple equals student or a learner. But the difference here is that one who learns an active fellowship. So if you've ever done a fellowship um, <clears throat> as, a, as a medical professional, you know what this means. It's like drawing yourself intimately close with people who know what they're doing so you can do likewise. The best word we have for a disciple of Jesus is probably the word apprentice to apprentice under Jesus. That is, you, you, you are with Jesus to learn a tr- trade, so to speak. Like you would if you were a carpenter or a plumber or whatever, or a knife forger or whatever. You have to sit under a master uh, at, his, at their craft, as, at his or her craft. And as you would sit under them, you would learn, but you would learn in proximity to them. And then hopefully you become your own master teacher, and then you would do the same thing with other people. Jesus does the same thing. I want you to come to me and learn how to do what I did. Dallas Willard has a really good working definition of this. He says this, a good working definition of disciple or apprentice is simply someone who has decided to be with another person under appropriate conditions in order to become capable of doing what that person does or become what that person is. It's that simple. Someone who is a disciple of Jesus, someone who's like, I am with this, uh, this person, Jesus, under appropriate conditions, not against my will, but it, in my will, like, I want to do this, and I want to become capable of doing what Jesus does. I don't want to be cap- capable of becoming who Jesus is. I mean, th- that, that is the essence of discipleship. What we have to recall from this passage of Scripture in Mark is that these first disciples left behind thriving businesses as fishermen to follow Jesus. They had boats. They left behind boats. You know, you know how, how good your business had to go if you had multiple boats? One group of the disciples fished from the shore, meaning they were just getting started. They were like a startup. And then the other ones had boats. They were already established business. They both left their nets. 
They both walked away from starting a business and full on into a business to follow Jesus. There was something about Jesus they're like, I want to apprentice under you to become like you are. They literally left everything to follow Jesus. Now, not only does this speak to Jesus' authority, but also speak to Jesus' allure. As in the way he lived and was in the world that his first followers wanted to become like him. Like there was something about Jesus where they were like, we want to become like you. We want to become like Jesus. They would find Jesus so admirable in every respect, so wise and beautiful and powerful and good that they would constantly seek to be in his presence and be guided and instructed and helped by him in every aspect of their lives. But here's a really good question, one that I've raised before, but I think I want to repeat it as often as I can. Here it is. What is Jesus good at that we want to be good at? If discipleship is about apprenticing under Jesus, imagine um, if you can choose um, your person to sit under. It might be in business. Like, I would love to be mentored and discipled by this person in business or in this, this, this founder. Or it might be some, like, someone who builds boats or something. Like, imagine, like, some expert, and we call these master classes now, by the way. We have them on our computer. Um, but imagine being with them, like, in their house, watching how they live and how the way they design a home or the way they do architecture, the way they do cooking or whatever, but you got to see it in real time and watch them as they were doing everything they did and you got to be next to them. You're like, I I wanna be next to this person because I wanna learn how to cook. I wanna be next to this person because I want to learn how to fix uh, a vintage um, engine. I I wanna be next to this person so I learn carpentry. I wanna be next to this person so I can learn business. I wanna be next to this person so I can learn life coaching. Whatever it is, what is Jesus good at that you wanna be good at? For a lot of people who are like, I have no idea. I don't know what Jesus is good at that I wanna be good at. So therefore, you don't even pursue what it is to be like Jesus. What was Jesus good at? And I think this is a question that you have to think about. What was Jesus good at that you want to be good at? As his apprentice, as his disciple, what do you want to be good at? Now, if we were really raw and honest with this question, he's good at getting people out of hell. He's good at forgiving my sin because I'm a really good sinner. And he's a really good savior, amen. That's a good sermon right there, right? I'm a good sinner, he's a good savior. Come on, we're a match made in heaven. If you think about it, it's, those are the, the answers. And if I, if I wanted to appeal to your emotions and I wanted to appeal to like you coming forward on the carpets, I probably would do something like that. But let's just be really honest. What is Jesus good at that you want to be good at? That you want to learn? Because this is what being a disciple means, that you're turning into your master. What is Jesus good at? The answer is this. The answer is Jesus was good at living in the kingdom in the presence of God. And he applies that kingdom reality for the good of others and even makes it possible for them to enter it themselves. Jesus was really good at living in the kingdom of God. He was really good at living, keep that slide up there, really good at living into the future reality of the kingdom of God, the presence of God, the non-worry, non-anxiousness of of God, that God has everything, and he had tapped into so deeply the power of the Spirit that he actually functioned in, in spiritual gifts, that he would walk into anywhere without any worry, any anxiousness, but full of power. I mean, it gives me chills even thinking about it. Can you imagine becoming someone like that? That you, everywhere you walked into, you were not anxious about a thing, 
You are like the birds of the air. They don't worry. They don't toil. They're just like, man, Heavenly Father feeds us every day. There's always seeds and stuff to eat. This is awesome. Like you don't worry at all. And not only do you not worry, but you're filled with kind of the power where, where you can walk into a place and you know where the kingdom of God wants to break in. You know where, as, um, as I was listening to uh, uh, someone teach on justice this last week, he said, um, all justice is is rezoning the earth uh, to match the kingdom of God. Rezoning the earth. Oh my gosh, that's so good. It's like, okay, we're going to rezone this here. This is not how, this is like so earthy. We need to get this like rezoned to heaven. And we do that work now. Like Jesus was rezoning everything, right? It's like, no, lepers, you don't get cleansed. You only get cleansed in the temple. Like, no, we're going to rezone that. We're going to cleanse you outside of the temple. What are you doing? Kingdom of God is breaking in right here. This is what Jesus was good at. Actually, it's interesting. The first official presentation of the gospel to the Gentiles went like this. Um, actually, it's, and I don't have the slide, sorry. Um, we'll have it next service if you want to stick around. But Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Write that down or turn there. Acts 10, 38 says this. This is how they preach the gospel. Jesus. We, we preach Jesus and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. This is who, how they describe Jesus. They describe Jesus as someone who was, was from Nazareth, so he was just from like almost like nowhere. And he was filled with the power of the Spirit, and he went around everywhere doing good and healing people who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. And what discipleship means to Jesus is that I'm with him learning how to do that. I'm with Jesus learning how to do that. I'm with Jesus learning how to be filled with the power of the Spirit and going around doing good and healing, doing works of righteousness, because God's with me. Being a disciple of Jesus is that. Lastly, disciple of Jesus is apostleship. Apostleship. Now, this is, I use the lowercase a here. It's not apostle in the capital A, but apostle in the sense of that, all that word means is sent. An apostle is someone who is sent, S-E-N-T, sent. Mark uh, 3, 14, 15. He appointed the 12 that they might be with him and, look at, that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. Apostleship, lowercase a, is about being sent into the world to do the stuff Jesus did. Jesus was calling people to himself for this. It's, very, it's, it's simple but it's not, it's not simple in its application, but it's simple in its teaching. I want you to be with me, okay? I want you to be with me, and I want you to be with me so you can learn how to become like me, how to live in the kingdom of God like I live in the kingdom of God. This is what I'm up to. And then I want you to be sent. I'm gonna send you, and I'm gonna give you authority to do what I do. So I want you to go into wherever you work, I want you to go wherever you have dinner or wherever you have coffee or wherever you live with your roommates in your neighborhood. I want you to go everywhere you go with the authority that I have to deal with the demonic and to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, to proclaim it with your mouth. I, want, I just want you to go out and have the authority to do the stuff I did. To summarize, a disciple of Jesus is someone who is with Jesus in order to become like Jesus and is capable of doing what Jesus did. That's what a disciple is. 
And you see why it's really important that we, we, dis we distinguish that from being a Christian, meaning, oh, I said the prayer and I'm not going to hell when I die. See the difference there? Jesus wasn't doing that, that second one. He wasn't doing that. He wasn't going, okay, I'm preaching the gospel. Okay, um, whoever wants to say the prayer, raise your hand. Okay, see your hand. Okay, great. Say this prayer. Okay, great. You're in. Congratulations, you all are in. Come forward, sign the card, all that stuff. I'll get your name, number, I'll call you back. That's not it at all. He's like, I'm going this way. You guys want to you come? You, come. You, come. You, come. Follow me. I want you to be with me. I want you to learn my teachings and my way of, of living. And then I'm going to send you out with power so you can do the same thing. And this thing spreads all over the world. That's my, that's what I'm doing. Now, as we end, I want to undo my opening story a bit. I open by saying that it was my second story that was my salvation story. But to be completely honest, I have no idea if that was my real salvation story or not. I have no idea. It could have been the story I didn't really share. It could have been the story that lied between the two stories I shared when I was trying to sneak drugs into my local county fair and got randomly searched by the law enforcement and they checked everywhere but my sock. Who doesn't check the sock? You always go to the sock. That's where everything is. If you're in high school, you know, trying to sneak in drugs. The sock. And they patted me down and I remember saying, God, if you get me through this, I'll serve you forever. That might have been it. That might have been the moment I was saved, but maybe not. I have no idea. I don't know. And my point is this. Discipleship to Jesus is a process by which you are always called into deeper death, into deeper commitment, into deeper apprenticeship to Jesus. The invitations and commands of Jesus that come at us from Jesus' teachings will meet us at different ways and at different times in our lives. We hear them one way when we're young, Follow me, when we were 16 years old at a summer camp, we might have heard that, but we hear it completely different when, I, when we're 28, and we're gonna hear it completely different when we're 38 and 39, and completely different when we're 64. And not all of Jesus' invitations ask for the same level of response at any given time in our lives. Some of the challenges are meant to bring us to basic conversion. Some of the challenges that people ask us are simply made us to make a decision towards Christ. Like, yeah, I want that. Some are meant to deepen that conversion, and still others are meant to take that conversion to its full maturity in our lives so that we're saints. So the invitation this morning is to say yes and to go deeper into deeper discipleship. Maybe your, your whole Christian existence have been kind of hovering in this, like, I said yes to Jesus and to the sinner's prayer and his salvation, and that, that's been it. I've been trying to go to church, and I've been trying to do the stuff, but that's, a bit, that's, a bit, that's about it. This morning, I don't want you to hear, I know I beat up on this for a while, I don't want you to hear, I'm not a Christian, I want you to hear this, is Jesus inviting you into deeper discipleship? That's what I want you to hear. You might have been I'm, I'm a disciple. I've been, tr I've been trying to do the stuff. I've been literally um, disciplining my mind and my body to, to, to follow the way of Jesus. And you might be coming in here to, today and you just feel beat up because you're, you, you, didn't have, you didn't have a good apprenticeship this week or this month or this year so far or in pandemic. I, what I want you to hear is that Jesus is making you into something. When he says, I will make you fishers of men, 
He's, he's, he takes that responsibility. I'm doing this. You have to show up to it. You have to participate, but I'm doing it. And what we learn in the, in the book of Mark is even there's even times when, when Satan wants to um, destroy the disciples, and Jesus tells, <laughs> tells Peter, um, Satan wants to destroy you, but I prayed for you. And when you overcome, I want you to restore the, your brothers. Jesus has all this, like, this patience and power to, to know what he's doing, even in the midst of us screwing up. That's literally the whole book of Mark. Disciples get it, don't get it, get it, don't get it afresh, over and over and over again. And Jesus is making them into his disciples. And so wherever you find yourself, I know that it's important that we set a standard, like this is what it means to follow Jesus. And wherever you are in that spectrum, to know that the grace of Christ and the power of Christ to make us into something is still there. And so as we close, I, I want to ask a, a few different things from, uh, from you today. This is different because it's bright in here, and we usually have everything dim. So it's going to feel a little bit different, but I still, I still want us to make um, a, a, a physical bodily decision. If today you feel like Jesus is calling you for the very first time to follow him, I would love for you during this second set of music to go forward and get prayer from the prayer team. Just like, I think Jesus is calling me, the, for the, maybe for the very first time I've ever heard it, this clear to follow him. To, to, to drop my nets, so to speak. Meaning, um, everything takes second place to Jesus. To follow him and apprentice under him. That you, I would love for you to come forward and get, receive prayer. It'll take courage for you to do so, because people will be like, I thought that person was in my community group. Oh, they were Christians since they were born or whatever. It'll take courage. It will. If Jesus is calling you into deeper discipleship, meaning you feel an invitation, you hear an invitation from the Spirit, even right now, into deeper discipleship, that your Christianity was here, but you hear the, the voice of Jesus calling you into a deeper discipleship. And that might be leaving something, that might mean giving up something, that might be walking away from something, that might be reorienting something in your life, whatever that means, a deeper discipleship to Jesus, I would love for you as well to come forward and just get prayer by the prayer teams. Now, I don't know what will happen if the prayer teams are overwhelmed, if you are still in your chair and you feel um, led to, I want to commission you as a minister to walk up to someone and pray for them because you are sent so that's what's going to happen in the next few minutes. And again, I don't know. It could be two, one person, or it could be the whole entire church comes from. I have zero idea. But what I'm asking you to do is something that we're, we're trying to, to model as a church is that we respond with our bodies. I don't care who you are. If you're an elder in this room, I don't care. We're responding together. So would you stand with me? I'll invite the worship team to come back up. Holy Spirit, Come, Holy Spirit. Would you open your hands to God? Holy Spirit, I, I pray now that as whatever you're doing in people's hearts and minds, only you know, that new conversion, as, as we, we would say when we're, we're transferring ourselves from the kingdom, or you're transferring us from the kingdom of of darkness into the kingdom of light, that might be happening right now in people's minds and hearts where they're gonna choose to follow you. I pray for those that they'd be given courage to be disciples of Jesus. That they would sense even in their heart and their mind right now, rivers of living water flowing to them and through them. 
a purifying, a cleansing, a deep presence of walking with you. And for those, Lord, that spirit that you're drawing into just a deeper yes, a deeper discipleship. Do your work, Lord. And I pray for those that that they're just, you know, they're good. They're here and they're like, I don't, I don't really sense any of that. I, feel they, I pray they would sense a call to be sent today to someone to pray for them, to have a word for them, to move in power, the power of your spirit now. So Lord, I pray right now that you would do the stuff, that you would do the things, that you would empower your church, that just wouldn't be us standing and singing or us listening to a study, but you would do the stuff here, do the work, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.